0: The free sweat quiz and their products can be found at SlayRx.com, on Amazon.com, or at your local run and bike shop if it's available. You can use the code Pleasant2020 at SlayRx.com for 10% off. Thanks to SlayRx for sponsoring us. Y'all, give them a try. We appreciate our sponsors, and thanks to all of them for helping us bring you the Most Pleasant Exhaustion podcast. Welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast, brought to you by ITL Coaching Performance, Blue Pineapple Travel, and Slayer X. My name is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach. I'm a father of twin boys, and I'm a college professor here in Atlanta, Georgia.
1: My name is Michelle Frank. I'm also an endurance athlete in Atlanta, Georgia. I am a mom to three girls, and I am a CPA.
0: And we are psyched to have with us on the podcast, kicking off a brand new series our old friend who was with us on episode 127 of the podcast and talking about GPS, Eric Hall. Eric, welcome back. It's
2: great to be back, George. Great to be back, Michelle. Thank you. So Thanks
0: Eric um, Eric is a, uh, a native of the metro Atlanta area, just like Michelle and me. Um, he uh, was a fraternity brother of mine in college, went to Georgia Tech with me. And these days he's uh, one of my teammates uh, on the Blue Ridge Relay, as we've talked about so often on this podcast, particularly this year, I feel like. Um, and so we, of course, ran it together this year. Um, Eric spent some time in the military in the Navy on a submarine. Um, and uh, interesting fact about Eric that I don't even think Michelle knows. He spent 18 months living in South Africa, working and coaching soccer. How about that?
1: That's pretty cool. That definitely has not come up in our new text box. So, <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, but uh, but Eric is here to as part of our new series where we're gonna be talking about tech. We're gonna try and get Eric here about once a month, but uh, but but we'll see how well that works. Uh, Eric was was looking for somebody to uh, to talk tech with, and we were looking for somebody to to talk tech to us. And so, shoes, clothing, gear, watches. Anything imaginable related to endurance sports and technology and gear. That's what Eric's here for, right, Eric?
2: That's what we talked about. That's what I'd like to talk
0: about. So, yeah, I think that's sounds good. Awesome. Fantastic. And we should say, Eric, Eric's a coach, too. Um, and so you are an accomplished oh, ultra runner. So, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that too. Um, but you're an accomplished ultra runner. Um, um, the farthest ultra you've done is what, about 65 miles?
2: Right around 60 miles. Yeah, right. it was a 12-hour. That was right post on. Blue Ridge Relay, so. Yeah, yes. yeah, it was a
0: week after the Blue Ridge Relay. That that bears, <laughs> yes. that bears yes. mentioning, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, uh, so right on, right on, and uh, and he has coached high school runners, coached adult runners as well, and so uh, so. Eric brings an engineering sense to, of course, tech into gear. Um, And I think that Eric has the same sort of approach to technology into gear um, that I do in the sense that he sees it as something that can definitely augment your training, but it should never become the focus of your training. Um, And that's something that I appreciate. And I think it's important here to say at the outset. So we last week. When we were talking about the fact that Eric was going to be here, we had Michelle tell the story of her pacing her brother-in-law expertly to a sub two-hour half marathon. But there was a tech issue involved with that. And since Eric was here on episode 127 talking about GPS, this seems like the perfect way to reintroduce Eric to everybody on the podcast. So Michelle, why don't you you recap what the issue was?
1: Sure. So I paced my brother-in-law a few weeks ago, the Disney Wine and Dine half marathon. Um, I wear a Coros Apex watch and he wears a Coros pace watch. We started from his house in Dunwoody. We ran two loops, which was uh, pretty much 13.1 miles. And we hit our watches at the same time. We, you know, got the GPS signal at the same time. And I hit 13.1 miles, a full 60 seconds ahead of him. So I found it very difficult to, you know, uh, try to figure out what pace I was running, what pace he was running make sure that he stayed on his goal, make sure that he only walked for a few seconds at a time. And I was constantly laughing my watch at the end and trying to do the math of if I'm this far ahead and it's this, you know, many tenths of a mile uh, just to kind of keep that even the whole last six miles. And it was pretty awful um, and very frustrating because it seems to me that well, we have basically the same watch. So why are our GPSs so off? Um, yeah.
0: All right, Eric, you're on the spot. What do you think? <laughs> So noting that we
1: sent Eric the, I sent him the, (laughs) all the GPS stuff. So.
2: Right. So um, I think I'd like to get into your specific case and I love the story because this happens all the time.
1: All Um, the time.
2: This happens all the time. And it's not just what you see with the person running next to you. It's uh, what you see from one run to the next, when you do the exact same run, it's the differences you see when you're running on the trail versus running on the road.
1: Right.
2: And we can come up with all sorts of reasons why and excuses or this that or the other Um, but there really is a lot of science behind it so let's
1: uh, talk about the science
2: yeah so you you said earlier today we talked earlier today and you said (laughs) you like the tech techno stuff so i want to take just a step back and talk about what gps is in general and i'll keep it quick um, and i'll kind of i'll gloss over a couple things but i want to talk about what it is in general because i think that helps people understand what it is specifically when you're looking at your watch so the first thing is uh, the term GPS, it's like Velcro in the sense of uh, GPS is the American system that's up, up in the sky, up in space. Uh, what it really is, it's a, it's a navigation system. So it's a, it's a global navigation system. And there's many of them out there. And the reason that's important is because your watch doesn't just track the global positioning system that the United States has. It also probably tracks the Russian uh, GNSS, which is uh, GLONASS. And then it also may track the Chinese one, which is Beidou. And then there's a new one that your watch doesn't track yet, but it will with a new release uh, called Galileo from the European Union. And that is supposed to be the most accurate. So I just say that to say you know, GPS is a very, um, it's a general term that we use, but we use it like Velcro or duct tape.
1: What makes one more accurate than the other?
2: That's a great question, and the the technology that they're building into Galileo, it, it really is complex, but it comes down to how it deals with uh, frequency frequencies that the signals are carried on and then time differences and calculations that you can do with that. So it's not a number of satellites. It's not the strength of the signal. Um, it's really, it's, it's super technical and, and really, in, it's a newer design, so... So
1: is the term GPS watch, is it only used by Americans? I mean, like did did the Chinese call it something different? Did the Europeans call it something different?
2: I haven't spent a whole lot of time in China and uh, I don't actually know. Yeah, I, I would expect that it is so synonymous that it's used all over because it was the first and it was the first that was available. So I think that's sort of, it's just like Velcro, right? It was the first, it's like Ziploc bags. It was the first. So I think that's why people call it GPS. And I think it's, it's actually humorous sometimes because you just say, people say, my GPS sets, you know, the, my, the GPS in my car. I'm sorry, you don't have a global position in <laughs> your car. You happen to have a receiver, you know, you get into all that and someone's, they just gloss over, right? But I just, I, I wanted to mention that because it plays into the questions that, um, well, it plays into the question of why your distance was different than your brother's. So the next thing, uh, to get a fix, a position, you know, that, that where you are on the earth You really need three satellites, but it's preferred that you have four uh, of these satellites that are up in the orbit talking to your watch. And the reason for that is three really gives you a position. But GPS is really a time-based system. And time is king in this because it's measuring the time differential between that signal leaving the satellite and your watch receiving it. Your watch doesn't send anything out. It's just receiving from these satellites. So that fourth satellite helps Uh, Deal with time discrepancies and it makes it more accurate. So if you don't have four satellites Then your watch is gonna be less accurate now Chances are for most of the time you have more than four satellites on your watch And if you run far enough, it's probably hopping from satellite to satellite sort of like cell tower to cell tower when you're driving your car down the road But again, you know when you're driving your car down the road and you're on the phone and you lose signal and then it comes back that's when you're transitioning sometimes from from one cell tower to the next same thing happens with your watch so you'll lose a little bit of signal if it's not tracking all of them so just something to think about um now so for the techno geek in you that fourth satellite and why the time differences are all messed up is it actually comes down to einstein and general relativity because time travels faster in space than it does here on the on the planet earth so that's what that fourth satellite's all about so if you want to really impress your friends You say, oh, yeah, it takes four satellites because of general relativity. Didn't you know that? Everybody knows that.
1: Everybody
2: knows that. I knew
0: that.
2: that. (laughs) George knew that. So (laughs) now we we talked just a little bit about quality, the quality of the position, because the the one thing that is certain is wherever your watch says you are exactly, you're not there. You're either not there anymore or you never were, because really what it's doing is it's drawing a circle on the earth and it's saying you're somewhere in that circle. There's no I'm right here. Um, so it's the strength, it's the signal strength of what you're receiving. It's the number of satellites, like I've already mentioned. And it's also, and this is a really important thing just came up last night with my daughter and I, have you ever had, and I'm asking Michelle, this experience where you're standing out there and you're waiting It's perfectly clear day and you're waiting for your watch to get a signal, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, everyone gets that and it's random too, isn't it? Doesn't it seem really random?
1: It's always like when I have. 62 minutes to run and I have a 60 minute run. And why is my watch taking an additional, you know, instead of an immediate signal, it's going to use up all my time to be stopped at red lights. And yeah, it's always when it's the least convenient that it does it.
2: Yes. And the funny thing is my daughter and I run together all the time, stand at the top of the driveway, turn our watches on. And within seconds, most of the time we we have a signal and we can go. And the other day we sat there for three minutes waiting for her watch to catch up
1: and it's the longest 3 minutes of your
2: life. It is the longest 3 minutes of your life. The reason why that happens and this is this is almost always why that happens is your watch stores a little file and that file is telling your watch where the satellites are and which satellites it should hook onto to give you the best position. That little file is called ephemeris data and it's only good for about 7 or 8 days. So if somehow you get out of a cycle with connecting to your phone, which is getting the new Ephemeris data to your watch, or your watch isn't connecting to your, your home Wi-Fi, if that's what your watch does, it loses, you go beyond that seven or eight days, and now your watch has to rely on the satellites to tell them where it is. So you sit at the top of your driveway waiting for three minutes while your watch is receiving that data from the actual satellites, and it's a whole lot slower. So one of those things, you know, any one of those things we just talked about can mess up the quality of your signal. All right. And it can waste your 62 minutes or at least your two minutes when you need to <laughs> yeah. do a 60 minute run. So what, what that does is it gives your watch a larger circle that it thinks you're in. And then it has to start figuring out where you are in that circle. And sometimes you might be on the edge of the circle, the center of the circle, the top of the circle, the bottom of the circle. And that's where you kind of get a wavy path down the road. When you when you look at your your data online, say on Strava or whatever, so those are kind of the big picture things about uh, a global navigation system in general, right? And then a you know your GPS watch and and how those two interact and why it can be inaccurate. Now, if we want to get to your specific case, right? So I'm going to hit a couple of things that you said. Uh, you were at your brother's house, so I'm assuming you started right at his driveway pretty much, yeah, right? Yeah,
1: just right so, in the so we, suburbia.
2: <laughs> so we can't say that he traveled across the US and his watch had to figure something out. Um, did they connect pretty much immediately when you turned them on? Yeah. Okay, so we, we can throw Ephraimus data out the window. It's not trying to figure that out. Um, but we can talk about some settings on your actual watch that might cause a difference. Uh, the first one is, Um, and I I did a little research on the Coros watches specifically because I try to be really agnostic about my technology. I don't have a Coros watch, though. Um, The first thing I noticed is it's very hard to find information on that watch.
1: Yeah. Uh, There's no
2: manual for that watch, and there's no online manual. Um, But if you look at their advertising, they talk about how the watch will last longer if you put it in certain modes. And I think they have a mode called ultra track mode. Okay. And what that does is it tells your watch to only, uh, look for that signal from the satellites, um, say every 10 seconds.
1: And is that too long?
2: Well, it depends on what you're doing. If you're running in a straight line at a constant speed it's fine. or, or if you're walking, it's fine. Yeah. But as you start upping the pace, Now that little circle that's being drawn on the ground, they're spread out and your your watch has to start making decisions on where you are with less information. So uh, some watches have smart mode, some watches have one second mode, uh, some watches have continuous mode. You know, what those mean uh, ranges, but basically the more frequent it's grabbing a a signal from the satellite, the more accurate your track is gonna be. So it uses more battery, right? But it uses more battery, right? So most people, especially Coros people, what do they want to do? Preserve battery, battery life. They never want to charge their watches because why would you charge a watch that seems I mean, so foreign to us?
1: You barely have to charge a watch if you have a Coros watch, so.
2: That's right. But with that, I would take advantage of it and I would set it up to take points from the or take signals from those satellites as often as possible. It might take a day off your charge life, but isn't that worth it to have the most accurate track?
1: Yeah, so my (laughs) GPS mode say GPS-QZSS and then GPS-QZSS plus GLONASS. Those are the two options for GPS mode.
2: Okay, so excellent lead-in because that's actually not what we're talking about. What (laughs) that's talking about is which of those global navigation satellite systems it's connecting to right because you can make your watch more accurate by actually watching the gps the united states system and the russian system GLONASS. okay you can even or you can pick gps and uh Beidou. so yeah
1: that's also an option
2: that's also an option so yeah. if you go gps alone it's going to be a little less accurate if you add in that other satellite system it's going to be a little more accurate what I understand is in the higher latitudes, say, if you're up in Canada or running up up north, it's better to have the GLONASS on because okay. it's more accurate at the higher latitudes. I believe the Chinese system and the United States system are pretty, you know, they're, they're good all over the earth. Got it. So, so I would say if you want to make your watch as accurate as possible, you want to have the United States system and Beidou, if you have that choice. So GPS and Beidou.
1: So I also found something on my watch that says what you were referencing before. GPS satellite data will expire in five days and 23 hours. Sync with the Coros app to refresh data.
2: There you go. That's So it's literally
1: telling you that you have only this amount of time left where it knows exactly what to connect to. Exactly. That's fascinating. I never knew that.
0: And 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 then the other the other thing while you're while you're playing with your watch right now, Michelle, is is I'm is not the, playing with my watch. Is the mode the mode that your watch is in as well? And so so how how is your watch balancing battery life versus um, versus um, accuracy um, on on the data that it's getting from the satellites? And so if you have it turned on where you have less accuracy but longer ba- battery life, and more importantly to this original question. If your brother-in-law had a different setting, then yeah. then that could definitely add to some of the issues. <laughs> right, Eric?
2: Exactly, George. And that's the point I was getting to. So if your watches aren't set up identically, which most people's watches are at factory settings. So right. maybe maybe they are, uh, especially from, from the same manufacturer. But if they're not set up the same or that FMS data is older, because you it's not at 5 hours and 23 day or sorry 5 days and 23 hours that it all of a sudden becomes inaccurate it becomes less accurate over time so if one of you is at you know you've just synced and you have brand new FMS data and the other one is going to sync uh, the next time and get the new file then yeah. that could affect the accuracy also
0: hmm.
2: so going through all of that um, there, are, there are other things that could cause a problem um and so not just the watch settings, but maybe how uh the two of you are running. So is is his on his left arm or is his on his right arm? Are you running? Okay. Are you running on his left side or are you running on his right side?
1: Oh, I was running in front of him the whole time.
2: <laughs> running in front of him. Okay. Snapping
1: yeah. my fingers, screaming.
2: Cussing <laughs> at him in front of his kids.
1: Yeah, Right. Too.
2: <laughs> um what are your arm swings like? Is he the boxer runner that his ch- his wrist never leaves his chest or is he actually swinging his arm, you know, in the form that George probably coaches his his runners to to, sw- to use their arm swing?
1: I've never heard George coach on form. Just saying.
2: That, have you ever seen George's form?
1: I mean, maybe that's why he doesn't coach on It's form.
2: almost as bad as Eric's.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh man. <laughs> so all those things simply affect the way the watch interacts with the satellites. It increases the size of that circle that the watch has to figure out where you are in that circle. And if, as we talked about, if it has less data or more random data that it has to deal with, it's gonna be less accurate.
1: So there. why don't we all just wear a Timex Ironman watch? Like, why do we even- You, you, you
0: first, Michelle, <laughs> you first. I'm currently wearing a Timex Ironman watch. I'll have you know, um, I mean, but but yeah. but as as soon as you switch over, I'll think about it. <laughs> okay, so so I remember when when uh, when Eric came on before, I remember uh, you were talking about all the different things that go into your watch telling you how far you've gone and all that sort of thing. I'm very much right. reminded of that now. Um, that the the number of things that, that go into determining precisely how far you've run and how fast you've been running and all that sort of thing, it's actually pretty incredible that it's as accurate as it is. Um, uh, it's, it's, exactly. It's, it's almost like magic. But the, the big takeaway for me, in addition to that in this conversation, is that two watches that appear to be the same like we were talking about when we set up Michelle's original situation that she and her brother-in-law were wearing the same watch so shouldn't it be the same well no there's settings on the watch and there's ways that they're interacting with satellites and even which satellites they're interacting with um that's going to change the the watch so they may appear the same but they're actually very different from one another uh, right I and it's interesting
2: it, when i was researching this you know like i said i didn't know much about the coros watch so i went to the coros website and there's a lot of Questions about this, you know, someone would say, "Why is my Coros watch always showing less distance than watch my garments.
1: Yeah, yeah,
2: sure. And and Sorry. Coros's answer is consistent, and it's very interesting. They say because your watch is more accurate.
1: <laughs> well, of course they say that.
2: <laughs> right, and and but but one of the things George and I talked about in our and uh, the previous podcast was track mode, and Coros came out with it first.
1: Yeah. And Man. you guys talked about that, right. When they came out with it, um, right. Sometimes track mode is literally through every single quarter. It, it, it knows like I cross the line and it's perfect, but other times it is horrible. It is a hundred meters shy of a lap per lap. On the so, same track. yeah, always on the same track. It's, it's right. never, that's a frustration for me that it's not, it's not consistent in that, but I mean, there's some people that go out and they run hundred miles on a track and like Camille Heron, like her Coros watch literally hits the lap every single quarter. It's just unbelievable. But I've had that experience. I've also had the experience where it thinks you've run the quarter and you're literally at like 330 meters.
0: Okay. I'll say two things about that. And I want to hear what Eric has to say too, but but I'll say this. The reason why you see Camille's Heron's watch working perfectly is because she's not posting it when it doesn't. And that's, that's important to remember too. That's fair. So, so, so it's not that hers works 100% accurately 100% of the time. It's that she's not going to out her sponsor like that when it doesn't work for her the way it does.
1: But it so, is so, really so, impressive when it when it is that perfect.
0: So, oh sure, but but you said it's that perfect for you sometimes too, right?
1: Yeah, and it's awesome. And then other times it's so annoying because it the pace is. I don't even want to talk about it.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, so right.
2: here, think think about what we just talked about though. Now, can you in your head? say oh that could be because of x Mm
1: -hmm. yeah it's also why i a lot of times i mean i haven't really been back to the track since march but just the regular watch with the old school lap button just Mm -hmm. to me is so much less mentally taxing because Mm -hmm. you're not trying to look at a watch wonder about the pace then you get a split it doesn't equal the pace i don't know
2: (laughs) well and I'm not sure that we talked about this, George, of the last time, but this is the thing that people um, Like, is track understand. mode an
1: overstep? Like, is it too much it, to ex- yeah. expect from a watch?
2: That's what I was getting at. When you drive down the road, does your car ever leave the road on your navigation system?
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, sure.
2: No no what i mean is when you're on the highway does your car always look like it's on the highway your actual oh.
0: your your actual car or the the the, the, car, the, pic, the picture of the car the picture <laughs> of the car that, sure it, so, yeah it,
2: it stays on the road right yes I hope to so. the point and this i did use this example with george when when it expects you to take an off ramp and you don't what happens
1: it takes it a minute to recalculate
2: it goes up the off ramp it actually shows your car going up the off ramp until and the of off
1: ramp, the angle becomes enough that it realizes right. that you're still on the highway.
2: Right. Horos has figured out how to do that on the track. Mm-hmm. So or or they've gotten really close to how you do that on the track. So they're saying mm-hmm. you're somewhere in that lane at all times. So that circle that I talked about, that position Yeah, you, you circle, have to
1: stay in that lane.
2: Right. But if you're if your watch starts to drift because your Ephraimus data is old, because your battery is weak and it's shifting to a a lower frequency of pulling that data off satellites, all of a sudden, all bets are off. It's not going to be as accurate. And this is the problem I have when you see, um, uh, when you hear other podcasts or people that post on the internet or we're not with their, with their blogs about, I took my watch out and did this. I wore four watches on my arm and did this. And then they post all the tracks. They yeah. never talk about setting up the watch. They never talk about making sure the Ephraimus data is accurate. They never talk. I've never read one of those where they say they were all in the most accurate mode. They were all set up to, to track this G, GNS system. They were all, you know, everything was perfect. They never does do every that.
1: watch have the ability to configure all of those elements before every run?
2: All of the high-end ones do.
1: That's interesting.
2: That, that I know of, the ones that i research. researched. So until somebody does that, you know, their, their, their data is just data. Well, it's, it's information. I just don't know that it's something that I can hang my hat on.
0: Right.
2: Um, right. And I've called out one of those uh, bloggers before and they really didn't have a good answer. In fact, they came back and said, you know what, you're right. I didn't do that. That would have taken too long. <laughs> it's like okay now maybe next time so but to 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 expect your watch to do that and george said this you're asking a lot and i feel like as to your point michelle when you're on the track why i agree sure have your gps watch running in the background if you just want to post on strava which -hmm. is great right i i think that's excellent i think that's one of those great things that you get out of a gps watch but just track the time what i do is i run and i hit the hit the lap
1: yeah, too. that's what
2: it I also. It took me. It it took me. You know. Fifty-five seconds to run that quarter. Mm-hmm. Fifty-five seconds. Fifty-five seconds. Fifty-five seconds. It, it didn't take really you
0: fifty-five seconds. To I was going to say you're running. Come on, out,
1: quarters. <laughs> hey,
2: earlier, you, you told me Michelle was running 10K pace at seven forty-eight minutes. I figured I'd throw that out there.
0: You can't just slide that by. Okay, you're so on a running podcast. Can we podcast just clarify that,
1: that my 10K pace isn't
2: seven 7.40? Like, and the the whole point of saying that was to get Michelle to say, let's clarify
1: myself. I mean, George, you could you can't run a fifty-five second. Oh, quarter no absolutely
0: not okay <laughs> no are you kidding me so, okay, so 72 a, a, a 55 72. second quarter might now be the we're fastest up to 72. I've ever run so <laughs> we're like so
2: everyone's got to train for a marathon at some point um
0: all right so so good stuff there i appreciate that eric and i appreciate your your revisiting and reintroducing yourself to us through through that and I, I definitely think that you gave us a lot to uh to to address and think about not only with michelle's particular conundrum but as we're setting up our watches and as as we're thinking about our own uses of gps there um let's shift gears a little bit so speaking of tech and gear and all that sort of thing we put it out there on the podcast just last week we said okay both michelle and i are doing a trail 50k in january and we're both looking at different shoes and there is uh you know, a whole bunch of different conditions possible. Um, and it ends with some pretty rocky terrain over the course of the last eight to 10 K of this 50 K that she and I are running in January. Um, and, uh, and we said, all right, so most pleasant exhaustion podcast listeners, give us some suggestions. And we got some really good suggestions. As a matter of fact, folks reached out to us and, and, and let us know what they think. Um, people that we've had on before uh, came on and, and or sent us a different suggestions, but, Eric, of course, having listened to the podcast and being the tech and gear guy, he had some suggestions. So Eric, hit us with your suggestions. So
2: let's, <laughs> let's. And, and my suggestions are just based on the shoes that I have in my, in my garage that I wear. So Which is there are
1: basically one of everything. <laughs> <laughs>
2: and as a, as a clarification, both my daughter and my wife work at stores that sell shoes so uh, that helps um but yeah so i I had four pairs of shoes trail shoes that i had out there and i actually gave them names um uh, not just the names they have but kind of like how i characterized them so like fred uh, no like tank okay okay (laughs) so uh i have a pair of uh brooks cascadia now that's a 14s and 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 i was really excited about this shoe now I'll get to why I was really excited about it, but I wanted to try to run in it and I put it on my foot and the 15, 14 and the 15 are about the same. 15 is the most recent version. It's a little lighter, but the 14 and 15 are about the same. It comes down to the, how their upper was created. But I'll tell you this, uh, you can't really hurt yourself in that shoe. It's wide, uh, It's it, it's got a lot of protection. It's got a rock plate. I think all these shoes, all these shoes I'm gonna talk about have a rock plate. Does
1: it weigh a pound? Um,
2: it does not weigh quite a pound, I don't believe so. <laughs> but I'll say this: um, George and I are heavy sweaters, and at the end of a run, it probably does weigh over a pound. Yeah. Uh, because it's got a really thick upper and it soaks up a lot. But I think that's a clunky, well-built shoe, um, and I—that's I, just how I feel about it. Um, at the end of the run, it—it's—it's it, it's a thick-soled shoe, and uh, you feel it. Uh, so I'd call that the tank. Um and, and if if I'm honest, I think I personally would use that shoe for uh, speed hiking or something more than running. Uh, I think I would use that instead of a, a low top or something, um, even with a little bit of weight on my back.
1: That is the shoe that Scott Jerk runs fast in though, right?
2: Yes. And I'm not sure. Which Scott I Jerk. don't
1: understand, but
2: if if I was sponsored and getting paid a lot of money by a company to run fast in a shoe, I probably could,
1: That's or I fair. would. So my right, take so, on so, that is that it's too much. George not going to want to run a fast. He thinks he's going to run a fast trail 50k. I don't. But think that I'm shoe is
0: trail 50k. <laughs> that I just, shoe is
1: probably not going to make his top three choices just because of.
0: I don't. I don't think I'm going to run very shoe. fast, given the fact, the fact that I ran for the first time today in like a month. So so I I, I don't foresee that, but the fact that you named it tank is not appealing to me. <laughs> so, well, so. I had
2: one that was even less preferred and it's actually a shoe I like. Um, but I actually named this one, not preferred. Uh, <laughs> is that a Hoka? It, it's the Hoka. <laughs> and, and I'll say this, I run, I, I'm probably on my seventh or eighth pair of Hoka's. Um, and if I, if I'm going to run a hundred miles off road, I'm probably going to wear a Hoka because when you put those shoes on and you start running in them, you know that your feet are not going to get pounded. The problem with the, and this was a speed goat. uh, The problem with the shoe is it's even clunkier than the Brooks. Um, And my specific version that I had is the GTX. So it has the Gore-Tex in it. And because I'm a heavy sweater and I know George's too, and this is geared towards what George would run. And even if it's cool outside, you're going to sweat that shoe just, holds all of the moisture that gets in it from the top right Gore-Tex is great at keeping water out but in this instance with this shoe it does not shed the water at all Um, so that was not a shoe that I I recommended for George not a big hit on uh, Hoka though I love Hoka's uh, like I said I'm on my seventh or eighth pair the Rincon's a great shoe but it's not an off-road shoe I don't think it's a shoe you want to wear off-road Clifton probably not a shoe you want to wear off-road They have some other shoes. I just haven't tried them. So, is
0: it the so? What's the why couldn't George run a
1: trail fifty k in a Clifton?
0: I've run a trail fifty k in a Clifton.
1: So why is that not an option for you right now? For me, yeah,
0: it is. But 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 I would say that the the fifty k that I ran that I that I. I ran wearing a pair of Cliftons. There was two things about it that made it different. One is that the trails weren't very technical. There was there was one sort of technical stretch in there, but they're mostly pretty well kept, wide open, not technical trails. The other thing is that the last four miles were actually on the road. Um, oh. and so so finishing and the last on four the r-
1: miles of the race that we're running are not on the road. Is, are is
0: they? like the opposite of being on the road, <laughs> um, oh, and man. so it's it's like it's like rocky, technical, rough part. Uh, I, think I think things so, will
2: fall off a normal Clifton on a rocky technical. Yeah. Pieces on the bottom of the shoe will come off. I think mm-hmm. on a rocky technical fifty k, even if it's just a few miles. I just I don't think that shoe's made for that. All
0: right, so you got your not preferred because it holds water, which by the way, that's a really good thing that I hadn't totally considered the idea of, of something hanging on to water. Given the fact that that you always hear about how you want it to be hydrophobic, but at the same time. That could also mean they hang on to water if it's coming from inside the shoe. So not preferred tank, not feeling those. You also said earlier this week that that, that the stack height is so high on Hocus sometimes that 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 can feel kind of unstable, and I agree with you on that. Um, All right, so so in the end, Eric, what is your suggestion?
2: Well, I had two. All right, You didn't like one of them. You said it was too heavy, and then Michelle didn't like the other one because she said (laughs) I could never see George running in those because of his – his his, Achilles. Achilles. Okay. Yeah.
0: So, so, Uh, so the, the, the one that Michelle didn't like was, was was an ultra that you put a heel lift in.
2: That's correct. So George and I have a very similar heel issue. It's really an Achilles issue. It's a, it's a bone spur on our heel and uh, George actually recommended to me, why don't you just put a heel lift in your shoe? Um, So being an engineer, I really wanted to try out the Lone Peak. So I took one of my old shoes, I cut the back off the insole, and I slipped it under the insole in the Lone Peak. And I got to say, I really like that shoe. It's it's not the lightest shoe. It's it's actually got a few extra, you know, things on it that are for like holding the gators down. So it's got like extra stuff on it. But there's something about off-road having that wide toe box that makes me feel like I can go fast, whether so, it's uphill, downhill, downhill over rocks jumping over stuff
1: if you took that and you took the ultra zero drop what did you effectively make the drop with the insert great question that you created?
2: because because of your questions earlier i i thought i need to go measure it it's about a four and a half millimeter drop I, i've got about a four and a half millimeter drop on that shoe
0: so I so I, w- I would probably need to put like three insoles in it. <laughs>
1: in the creator of Ultra is like hurting right now, like his oh, yeah, soul sure, is hurting.
0: Yeah, if he was I'm dead, sure he'd be he rolling is. over in his grave. But he's, but he's not dead. Young, he's like thirty two years old. I was gonna old. say he's younger than all three of us. Yeah, <laughs> no. yeah.
2: But but the point the point behind those shoes is that don't get to where George and I are. Mm. But I still like that wide toe box. I've got a I've got a V shaped foot, right? I've got a really narrow heel, and I've got a wide front, so mm-hmm. that. The shape of that shoe is really important to me I just have to deal with my physical limitation of a bone spur on my heel and that works mm-hmm.
1: I think it is by far by far the most popular shoe that I see on a trail now even just doing some through hiking last week up in North Carolina I mean I cannot tell you the number of people wearing some type of ultra shoe it was it was shocking actually
2: when you but. think about the punishment you put your feet through in an off-road ultra, and the additional swelling you're going to get because of yeah, that, the toe
1: box is everything.
2: It's everything, so it makes a big deal. And at the end of the race, you're not tight, you know, your foot's not tight in that shoe. Mm-hmm. So now moving on, I, I called that the all rounder. That was my name for that the all rounder. But I did have another shoe, and this this is the shoe that George kind of dogged on when I said it. I said the uh, La Sportiva Bushido Two. I have never worn a La Sportiva before. I went and I'm going to be honest about this. I went to get something else at the store and there was a pair of these in my size sitting in the garage sale at REI. And That's I said, awesome. you know what? I said, you know what? I'm going to try these. Cause they're just so cheap.
1: Yeah. And,
2: and I put them on my feet and they felt like my Boston nines. And that is my all time favorite shoe right now for anything I want to do fast. And I said, these feel like these shoes I'm going to, I'm taking these home and I went out in a run in them and they even it's like having a pair of Boston nines, but off-road. I felt very sure of myself, very quick. I felt like I kind of forgot the shoes were there. And that's my goal in running is to forget the shoes are on my feet and concentrate on all the other stuff.
1: Right. To never even think about your feet.
2: Right. Cause the first thing that happens when you stop thinking about the trail is you end up on your face. <laughs> yeah. Trail running. At least that that's that's been my experience. So I want to be, I want to be honed in on the trail. And if if my Foot's having trouble if there's if I'm if I'm missing steps or foot slipping around, that's a problem. And that shoe just feels great. And George, you looked it up on where'd you look it up, George?
0: I looked it up at Running Warehouse because they always have the specs on there and everything. And it said it weighed 12 ounces. And I was like, "Eh, that seems heavy,
2: (laughs) right? And everything else I saw said 10 and a half, Mm -hmm. and 10 and a half is what the lone peak is also. Mm -hmm. So I think they're very comparable. And I think for a, a, a a ruggedized off-road shoe, not a, not a I agree. cut down off-road shoe 10, 10 and a half is about where you're going to end up.
0: I agree. Yeah. I think but you're right I, about that.
2: I think yeah. that shoe has a 12 millimeter drop. It's something, something in that. range. That's insane. And, it, and you and I,
0: and, and you and I had talked about too, that, that I, I do th- think, and, and I agree with you when you say this, that there, there's more to a shoe feeling racy than its weight like a shoe can be built in a way that actually makes it feel faster or racier um, for lack of a better term besides just it being super light um, right. and so so I have definitely worn shoes that were heavier but felt racy um, and and lighter shoes that that didn't feel as racy and as, as as swift so yeah what was your what was your nickname for the bushido the speedster speedster all right the I'm speedster and you know you,
2: so Michelle brought up a point when we were talking about She asked a question about contra grip, and she said, "I don't know what they did with the new contra grip, but I was running on wet rocks, and these shoes just stuck." (laughs) At that point, you don't care how heavy the shoe is Mm -hmm. because you're on wet rocks. You don't want your foot to slip, which is what's going to slow you down. Not Mm -hmm. the weight of the shoe. Agreed. And I felt the same way about the La Sportiva. I've never worn a La Sportiva, Mm -hmm. and I felt like they some technology into that shoe that makes the weight go away
0: right on very good,
2: very good. the so, boston 9s the lightest shoe either but it feels yeah. like it
1: i wore my boston 9s today by the way but since i know what i'm wearing for the 50k my vote and what, George, and, is and,
0: what and what are you wearing michelle
1: i'm wearing the Sense Ride 3 by solomon mm-hmm. but my vote for you is to try the hoka torrent it weighs so, nine ounces it's got a five millimeter drop it's a trail shoe it's like a trail racer you want to feel fast
0: the S Lab Ultra 2, the Solomon was also suggested yeah, to me.
1: By Courtney um, DeWalter.
0: So so yeah, by Courtney DeWalter. Uh Sense Pro 3. So we'll see. If anybody has strong feelings about any of those shoes that we've mentioned, by all means reach out and let us know. This is actually becoming like a thing. What shoes is George going to wear in the 50k? This is actually sort of fun. This, this is can really be like big a re- deal. this can be like a recurring thing that also, we talk about if, between now and the end of January.
1: If all of our listeners knew how excited you were about the Pegasus trail. And now that you don't like it.
0: <laughs> I mean. um, no, I, I, I don't dislike the Pegasus trail. I, I was very excited about it when I got it. Yeah. Yeah, I was.
2: You know why he was excited about that, Michelle?
1: Because he had a gift certificate.
2: No, he was in high school when the original Pegasus came out.
1: Yeah, they're on like 37 now or something, So, right? so, so it
0: says Eric who's the same age I am. So, so yeah. that, was, that
2: was the go-to shoe. Yeah, it was. It, was, it really was.
0: Well, like that, what
1: else was there? A Reebok? Hey, so, actually. So,
0: Nobody like wore anything about a Nike in high school. That's all so, we wore. Pretty shoes. much. Pretty much, yeah. No, I remember being at the starting line of the Peachtree Road Race with a guy who worked for Saucony. Um, and he said, last year... Our whole company was forty million dollars. The Air Pegasus was seventy million dollars, <laughs> <laughs> and, and and this was like probably 1990. 1990. Yeah, um, so I remember that well. Uh, yes, indeed. Um, all right, we're about out of time, and so so we we've talked for almost an hour about shoes and GPS, and this was good stuff. And and we're looking forward to having you back again pretty soon. Because we need to talk about like all the cool new trends and the stuff that people can't live without and the things that everybody needs to buy for their endurance athlete and their lives with all the holidays coming up. Right, Eric? So Eric, will you come back soon and talk to us about all that stuff? I'd love to. I'd awesome. Love to. I mean, we good. need to do
1: it really soon because Black Friday and Cyber Monday are in like a week and a half.
0: That's true. That's true. So did Michelle just invite me next week. I, I think did, she might have. Basically. Yeah, we might, we might have to bring you back next week, Eric, to do our, to our gift guide. That's, that's not a bad idea. It's not a bad idea. Uh, until then, Michelle, thanks for being with us. Thanks, guys. Eric, appreciate you being here, buddy. Anytime,
2: George. Anytime. Thank you. Thanks, everybody.
0: That'll do it for another edition of the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. We appreciate you joining us. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com pleasantpodcast can find us on Twitter, at Pleasant Podcast. You can find us on Instagram, Most Pleasant Exhaustion, and you can always download our podcast from Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. Don't forget to check out our sponsor, ITL Coaching and Performance, at itlcoaching.com, on Twitter, at ITL Coaching, at Facebook, facebook.com slash ITL Coaching and Performance, and on Instagram, ITL Coaching. You can check out Blue Pineapple Travel at BluePineappleTravel.com, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash BluePineappleTravel, or on Instagram, BluePineappleTravel. And finally, SlayerX. You can find them at SlayerX.com, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Here for That's the number four, Here for SlayerX. On Instagram at Here for SlayerX, again the number four, and on Twitter at Official don't forget the discount code pleasant2020. On behalf of Patrick Ollinger and Michelle Frank, this is George Darden. We appreciate you joining us on the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast.